Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. Cool. At last, Jeremiah, now you're getting with the program. None of this, let's forget about this judgment and condemnation and punishment stuff. You're talking about wine? Keep it up, buddy. Keep it up. Yeah, man. We told you you were wrong and we were right. Yeah, God's going to fill us with wine. Yeah, come on. If someone said they were going to fill your barrels with wine, you might think, okay, bring on the blessing. When God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah about the wine, it was fury, not blessing, that he was talking about. Let's find out more with Dr. Corbett in Jeremiah chapter 13, Drunk on Duty. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word, we pray that it would nourish our souls. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. We pray, oh God, that you would grip us. And Father, as we are here, we recognize that it's wonderful to be in your house to worship you, to have our hearts and minds lifted out of the distractions of the week and to have our vision refocused and calibrated on the throne where Christ is seated. And now, Lord, as we open this ancient text that is still speaking clearly down through the ages right into our present day, Lord, this text is so relevant today, it's probably more relevant than we realise. And we pray, Lord, that you would grip our souls and help us to be conformed to what we see in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please turn to Jeremiah chapter 13. We're going to have a look there in just a moment as we continue to look at Jeremiah. This is part 31 in our 200-part series on the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I believe, is a very, very relevant Very relevant book for us today. The cultural issues that Jeremiah was addressing are almost identical to the cultural issues that we're addressing today. Jeremiah was now seeing that he'd always grown up with, it had always been there, but now he sees it differently. He sees the idolatry in the city. He sees a a group of people claiming to be religious, claiming to be spiritual, yet he now sees their heart. And he sees that what they were doing was mere outward form. There was no connection to God. There was, no, there was no sense that we're doing this in heartfelt response to God. This was just an outward thing they were doing. And Jeremiah now sees it. And as we look at this section, we're going to be reading from verse 12 down to verse 17. And this is drunk on duty, drunk on duty, where Jeremiah now rebukes the leaders of Israel for their irresponsibility And he accuses them of being drunk on duty. They are drunk. They are charged with a duty to care for God's people, to protect God's people, to lead God's people, to feed God's people God's word. And yet they're drunk. They're drunk. And we've read earlier where the prophet has accused them of their drunken orgies, where they've gone up to the the hills and they've become drunk and committed all kinds of lewd sexual immorality in the name of worship. And so we now have the prophet accuse them in a way that they're they're not going to get, actually. They're going to, as we'll see in a moment, they actually think Jeremiah is paying them a compliment, which is what sin will do when you hear the word of God. You won't get it. And that's an important thing to understand, that as we share with people why we love Jesus, why we've made Jesus Lord of our lives. You know, the Bible says there are some people who are blind. They won't see it there are some people who are deaf they won't hear it 
Jesus said that. He said the word of God is like seed. It'll be sown. And to some hearts, it'll be like good ground soil. It'll take deep root and it will bear fruit 100 times over. But Jesus said there will be some people who just don't get it. Jesus said this. Some people's hearts will be so hard. They'll say, they'll say that don't shove your religion down my throat. Don't you think you're better than me? I'm sure God will forgive. And they, their hearts are hard. They're not open to the word of God. Jesus said that in the parable of the soil and the seed. And Jeremiah is about to experience the same sort of thing. So we're looking in this passage from Jeremiah 13 verses 12 to 17. And as you notice there, the, the opening phrase in verse 12, God is telling Jeremiah to speak to the people. You wonder why God just doesn't speak more directly to people. Would you like God to speak more directly to you? Don't answer that just too quickly yet. Because here's why. The level of revelation you get from God determines the level of accountability you have toward God. If, you, if God gives you absolutely no excuse, what excuse do you have not to obey him from that point? None. So God does speak through people. Why does he do that? I think there's, there's, a, there's a lot to do here with God knows our heart. Our hearts are hard. We don't want someone else telling us what to do. We are so hard-hearted and proud. We all are. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. And I think God wants to confront that head on. And so he uses people. The Apostle Peter said it this way in, was it 1 Peter 4, 13, is it? That God's varied grace, manifold grace, he says, the manifold varied grace of God is ministered through one another, to each other. God's grace, his power, his strength, his provision, God's grace is what you need at that time. And the Bible says that God will deliver that grace most ordinarily, through someone else, through someone else. Isn't that a humbling thing? Isn't that a humbling thing when you're crying out to God, oh God, direct me, correct me, show me what I need to know. Lord, have I deviated? Oh God, bring me back on track. And God brings along someone that we actually find irritating. And he uses them to speak to our heart. And not only do they speak to our heart, they confront our heart. This seems to be what God does. God speaks through people. There's a price to pay to be used by God. And it depends on who you fear the most. Do you fear people or do you fear God? That will determine how well you respond to the voice of God, especially through someone else. It's a, it's a heart-humbling lesson to learn to say to somebody who corrects us, thank you, I appreciate that gift. The gift of correction. Now we're reading from Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 12. You shall speak to them this word. We've already seen God speaks through people. It's a humbling thing. Here it is. Thus says the Lord. What a powerful expression. Thus says the Lord. It's the catch cry of the prophet. Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. He's not speaking on his own initiative. He's not making this up. This is God speaking. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Every jar shall be filled with wine 
And we'll see in a moment that he's actually indicating that the people themselves were the jars. And they will say to you, we do not indeed, uh, do we not indeed know that every jar will be filled with wine? They, they completely did not get what Jeremiah was just saying to them. Jeremiah is saying, you are the jars and every jar will be filled with wine. Now, apart from the rare occasions at my confirmation and the rare times I've had communion in an Anglican church, I have never had alcohol in my life. Never had it. So the thought of me being filled with wine doesn't do anything for me at all. At all. But for these people, the idea of being filled with wine was, <laughs> cool, at last, Jeremiah, now you're getting with the program. None of this, let's forget about this judgment and condemnation and punishment stuff. You're talking about wine? Keep it up, buddy. Keep it up. Yeah, man. We told you you were wrong and we were right. Yeah, God's going to fill us with <laughs> wine. Yeah, come on. They did not get what he was about to tell them. They were not in the zone to hear what he was saying to them. You shall be filled with wine. And they are now rebuking him and saying, yeah, yeah, that's right. You thought we were out of the favour of God. But wine, the Bible says, makes the heart merry. It's, it's the gift of God, the psalmist said. Wine is a gift from God. The old monks used to make wine and they regarded it as the, 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 the drink of heaven. So these people were regarding what Jeremiah said as Jeremiah's backing down. But here's something, you know, the, if you were filled with wine, what would you quickly become? Drunk. Now these people thought, cool, yes, God should give us what will satisfy every titillation of our flesh. God should give us Every pleasure known to man. I mean, God is there for us after all. Which, just by the way, is a complete reversal of how the world actually works. Um, we're actually there for God, but that's, you know, that's good theology and we'll bring good theology in a bit later. So here's Jeremiah saying to the people, you are jars. By the way, this is not a, a new thought in Scripture. The Bible actually says that when you give your life to God, you become an honourable jar. The, uh, the, the other word for that is vessel. A, a vessel, like, wow, big jug thing. You become a vessel. And you'll, you'll find reference to this. For example, there's a few verses in Romans chapter 9, starting from verse 21, where it says something like this. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honourable use and another for dishonourable use. There's just a couple of thoughts in there that are quite profound. The Bible says that, that we are a jar, we're a vessel, we're a big pot, a big jug. And it says we're an earthenware jug, you know, we're made of the earth, we're, we're earthy, we have flesh and we're, we're a big jug. And the potter, and in, a, and in a few, in about five chapters, Jeremiah is actually going to talk about this a bit more when he goes down to the potter's house and he sees the potter making something. So this idea of, the, of God being like a potter and us being the clay for him to mould and shape is a powerful thought. Now, I don't want to jump ahead to chapter 18 just yet. 
But we'll just make a couple of comments here because the New Testament picks up on what Jeremiah is now saying and we'll say a bit later on in chapter 18. That we are meant to be full of something. We're meant to be full of something. We're meant to be full of water, the water of life. We're meant to be full of that water. In fact, Paul says that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but of wood and clay. Some for honourable use, some for dishonourable use. Isn't that interesting? The vessels of gold and silver. Whoa, you know, if you had the choice, you're going to take a drink out of a vessel of gold or a vessel of earthenware. Oh, we'll go gold. And so we're an earthen vessel. And Paul goes on. And he says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, do you cleanse yourself with wine? Water. From what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Peter says this in speaking of husbands, having the ability to pour into their wife like she was a vessel. And the way you treat your wife, husband, is, the Bible says, is like pouring something into your wife. Your wife is a vessel. What are you pouring into her? If you pour dishonorable things into her, if you treat her unkindly, unfairly, if you treat her in a way that is disrespectful, Peter has this to say to you. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an, this is 1 Peter 3, 7, in, a, in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Why? This is what he says. So that your prayers may not be hindered. So you treat your wife, husbands, as an honourable vessel. And every wife said, Amen. Well, two wives got it anyway. I'm trying to help you out here. I'm, I'm preaching better than your amen, and that's for sure. It's like, All right, so. No, you know, these people are being told by Jeremiah, God is going to fill you jars, your, your jars. He's going to fill you with wine. And they are so blind. They just, they just don't get it. Their, their stubborn hearts are blinding them. And I know that there are people who are going to hear this and go, oh man, you guys are so fanatical. You're always talking about God and the consequences of the choices you make in this life as if it really mattered. <laughs> it does. Eternity's on the line here. The choices, the decisions you make in this life, you take with you. You can take nothing else out of this life except the choices and decisions you make. You can't take your iPod, your iPhone, your PS3, your PS7, your whatever. You can't take it. Your P76. You cannot take it. <laughs> but you can take your choices and your decisions. It's the only thing you can. And if you choose to not give God the right place in your life, in this life, you take that choice with you into eternity. Yes, this matters. And your heart could be so hard, you could be blinded by your own stubbornness. What a dangerous place to be. The New Testament says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. John said it this way, 1 John 2, 11, Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going. Because darkness has blinded his eyes. 
So you could be in church, and I have seen this as a pastor, 25 years in pastoral ministry, I've seen people come in, and, and it breaks my heart, that you, you preach the word to them, and they're like, it's just bouncing off their heart. Their heart is, is just hard, just hard. And some of these people even become a little bit religious. They, they, they buy a Bible just so they don't feel left out when, in the fashion stakes and they come to church. They, they, they may even wear a cross as if, as if any of that outward stuff makes you a Christian. And I've seen these people come and, and, they, and it's like, you know, if, if, we're, if we're not exciting them, you know, they're bored with church. Oh, God, help us, church. You know, and I've seen these, some of these people over the years go, well, I got nothing out of that and just drop out. And you think, oh, man, it doesn't, it's, what's your heart like? What's your heart like? Are you saying to God, I come to you on your terms, have your way in my life? Because that's where it starts. That's called humility. And we read in James 4, and Peter talks about this as well, that you cannot come to God unless your heart is in that condition. Now, if you want God to break through your hard heart, I'm sure he'll answer that prayer as well. But you better pray. Blinded. So these people were mishearing what Jeremiah was saying. God's going to fill you with wine. Yes, party, yes. Completely mis heard the word of the lord completely mis- misheard what jeremiah was saying the, the, the reformers and you've heard me use this word my kids love these two words this is the second of the two words R- remember what the reformers said about the doctrine of perspicacity oh yeah perspicacity yeah i was just thinking about that myself actually perspicacity perspicacity the reformers came up with a word in, when they were in dialogue with the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church said, don't own a Bible, don't read a Bible, don't look at a Bible, don't even pretend to teach a Bible. You, you, you are lay people. You have, no, you have no ability to understand at all what the Bible says. Just come to church and we'll tell you what it says. And the reformers said, no. God has given the world the Bible. It's his word. And anyone, and was it William Tyndale, the Lollards? Was it Tyndale and the Lollards? The Lollards, the, the word Lollard means just a, a, a filthy commoner. And, and I think it was uh, Tyndale. Tyndale. Um, anyway, he, he trained up these group of guys because Tyndale translated the Bible into English. And he trained up these guys to preach the Bible out in the fields and take it to the people and... And, and the Catholic Church got really upset with this. And they said, how dare you send these lollards out to... Lollards is like a dirty, filthy insult, almost swearing word. And, Tin, and I think it was Tyndale who said, lollards. Yeah, we're lollards. And he took it as a badge of honour. And, and he said, I could teach a ploughboy more theology from the Bible than a bishop sitting in the throne of the Vatican. Whoa. And that doctrine right there is called the doctrine of perspicuity. Yeah, that's what I thought it was, perspicuity, yeah. Perspicuity, it means it's clear enough. It's clear enough. It's simple and clear enough. You could read the Bible without anyone telling you what it says, what it means, why it says it, and you'll get it. You'll get sufficient revelation to come to know God. That's the doctrine of perspicuity. But the reformers said, but because of sin in every heart, we need to balance that out with perspicacity, which says... Everyone has blinkers on. Everyone has sin blinding their vision and they read things and they distort it. 
That's why we, the church needs to recognize people that we commit and dedicate. The word is ordained to preach the gospel. This is just what they do. We just dedicate them and set them apart. This is their role to take the word of God, research it, labor in it, go to the pantry and don't just throw the flour and the milk and the eggs together, but make something that's really edible, really presentable. That's the doctrine of perspicacity. Now, I'm sure today you're going to use those two words over lunch. <sighs> Probably not. But anyway, perspicacity causes us to mishear things. When we read, like, for example, I think it was um, William Branham, one of the, the early pioneers of the Word of Faith doctrine, that took a scripture out of Isaiah and, and, it was, and, and, he, and he, he taught this whole doctrine. And it says, we shouldn't just pray to God we should command God what to do. And he took as his text a, a verse in Isaiah that says, command me, says the Lord. And Billy Branham took this, he says, yes, I'm a son of God. I'm a child of the king. I can tell God what I want, when I want it, and how he's to deliver it. Because God tells me I'm to command him. Command me, says the Lord. See, it's right there in text. Now, I hope some of you are going... There's something smelly going on, and especially if Andrew Corbett's telling me this. This is going somewhere. That... <laughs> and it is going somewhere because the prophet Isaiah was not instructing the people of Israel to command God to do anything. He was actually rebuking them because that's what they were doing. And it's not command me, says the Lord. It's you command me. See, the expression changes everything. That's why I don't like text messages. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Just, 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 just don't look at him. All right, so you see the hearts of these people. Their, their arrogance had caused them only to hear what they want to hear. Jeremiah said, you're jars and you'll be full of wine. God's going to fill you with wine. And they're hearing, we're the chosen people. We're blessed of God. We are it. We're it. That's arrogant. That is arrogant. In fact, that's one of the sure signs of a cult, isn't it? We're the only ones who got the truth. We're the only true church. We're the only ones who are right. Oh man, if you're in a church like that, and we're not one of those, by the way, you're in a cult. Simple as that. And so let's have a look at verse 13. Jeremiah 13, 13. Then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, behold, I will fill with drunkenness all the inhabitants of this land. Notice who this affects. The kings who sit on David's throne. And in the time of Jeremiah, he prophesied to four kings who sat on David's throne, four kings he saw come and go, the priests, the prophets, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So who, who does this affect? It starts with the kings. Who's responsible for the cultural flavor of a society? The leaders, the kings. In our case, the prime minister, the premier. Now, our premier in Tasmania has got a really, really tough job. Tasmania at the moment has some tremendously difficult financial situations so let's pray for lara giddings right now father we ask that you give our premier miss lara giddings your wisdom help her to be able to govern this state wisely we pray lord we pray that she'll feel your arms around her and your grace strengthening and supporting her in jesus name amen kings it affects kings it affects priests it affects prophets it affects commoners 
and this being drunk full of wine. You know, Jeremiah is saying, your jars are going to be full of wine. God's going to make you drunk. And this runs right in the face of some of the things we read in Scripture. For example, it says in Proverbs 31, verses 4 and 5, that kings should not even drink, let alone get drunk. They were commanded by God not to even touch alcohol. For priests, priests were commanded not to drink alcohol. We read that in Leviticus 10, verse 9 that they were not to approach God if they were drinking alcohol, not to drink alcohol. And then, of course, people are encouraged generally not to drink alcohol. Proverbs 23, later on, Jeremiah picks it up in chapter 35 where he holds up the Rechabites as an example of godly living and faithfulness. And then in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about it as well. And so all of these people, knowing that God's word says don't get drunk, Hearing Jeremiah say, you're going to have times of drunkenness, they're all going, cool, bring it on. Not realising he's not saying something positive to them. He's actually summing up their dire spiritual condition. So, God will make them drunk. This is not a compliment. This is not a nice thing that the prophet is saying of them. Why? What happens when you're drunk? Drunkenness causes you to lose restraint. You say things that you, you wouldn't ordinarily say. Drunkenness causes you to do things you wouldn't ordinarily do. Drunkenness causes you to be uncaring toward others. Probably the single biggest factor in domestic violence in Australia is drunkenness. This is not a nice thing. And I know that there are, there are Christians who say the Bible doesn't say you shouldn't drink, and it doesn't. It doesn't say that. And I'm certainly not you know, trying to sound like a, you know, a, a black and white legalist on this. But everyone knows, the Bible says, you should not get drunk. Everyone knows that. And it's disturbing when I hear of youth groups, both in Tasmania and on the mainland and in other parts of the world, that say we're free to do whatever we want and they have drinking parties and they get drunk. That is not a celebration of the liberty and freedom God has given you. That's an abuse of it. <sighs> Praise the Lord. Is that someone from Foster's is on the phone now? Just I'll call them back. All right. <clears throat> we could look at Romans 13, 13. We could see 1 Corinthians 5, 11, 1 Corinthians 6, 10, Ephesians 5, 18. Romans 1, uh, we'll have a look at Romans 1 in a moment. So the, these are scriptures that, that clearly command, do not get drunk. And I think the easiest way not to get drunk is not to, for me, is not to drink at all. And that's, that's my choice. And I know that there are people in here who want to now have an argument with me over that. And I love you. <laughs> in Romans, you know, here's, this, here's the people. They, they actually wanted to get drunk. And God says, okay, I'll make you drunk. I'll make you drunk. Now, they think, he's gonna, they think the wine God's talking about is like wine. He's not talking about wine. He's talking about his wrath, his punishment, the wine uh, of his punishment. He's going to fill them to the brim with this. Every one of them are going to be punished. They are not hearing what he's saying at all. They're, not, they're just not getting it. And th this is God kind of sounding like he's giving them what they want, which is kind of what first, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 24 says, that if people shake their fist at God and say, get out of my life, God says, okay, I'm now out of your life. I hand you over to what you want. How many of us 
realise before we came to Christ, God had his hand on our life, keeping us alive, protecting us, guiding us and bringing us to the point of salvation. Man, I would have been dead ten times over if God didn't have his hand on my life before I came to Christ. Thank God that he didn't hand me over. Thank God. Don't desire God to get out of your life. Please don't do that. And we read on. Verse 14. And I will dash them one against another. You can see this is the kind of wine God's talking about. Fathers and sons together declares the Lord, I will not pity or spare or have compassion that I should not destroy them. So God's saying, I, I, these people will be destroyed. Now I want you to notice, this is Jeremiah 13. It's not Jeremiah 1. This is 13 chapters. This is you know 10 years, at least 10, possibly even 20 years of the prophet pleading with the people, repent, stop doing what you're doing, get back in line with God's word. Kings charged to minister well, get back in line with God's word. And they refused. They refused to do it. So we read in verse 15. We're going to read the next three verses straight through. Hear and give ear, be not proud, for the Lord has spoken. Verse 16. Give glory to the Lord your God before he brings darkness, before your feet stumble on the twilight mountains. And while you look for light, he turns it into gloom and makes it deep darkness. And verse 17. But if you will not listen. Notice that. But if you will not listen. Well, it sounds like the, the hearers have got a choice here. It sounds like it's, it's not the prophet saying, I give you no hope, I give you no... This is going to happen whether you like it or not. It's saying, come on, you can... Even yet, even yet, you can turn to God. And that may, that may be your situation right now, whether you're watching me on TV right now, whether you're watching me on your computer screen, whether you're listening on your iPod device right now, wherever you are in the world, you might be right here. And you've never asked God to have his way in your life, the wisest thing you could do would be to do that. Will you listen? Will you listen to the voice of God? You don't have to do anything to become a Christian. Christianity's already done for you. Jesus has done it all for you. You just have to look to the Saviour. Look to the Saviour. And if you were to die right now and you were to stand before God and God was to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? Your answer isn't anything that you can come up with. Your answer is looking at Jesus. Look to Jesus and say, ask him. That's it. Ask him. I put my faith in him. I let, uh, I let him come into my life. I discovered that I actually went into his life. So if you want to know why I should come into heaven, you ask him. And Jesus' answer is, because I've done it all for them, Father. I've done it all. Has he done it all for you? Will you listen? But if you will not listen, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears, because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. And our hearts are broken over those who don't know God but God still, even with compassion, God still holds people accountable. It's bad parenting to think, well, I love my child too much to discipline them. That's not love. That's neglect. And God is not a neglectful parent. And if you want God to have his way in your life, his compassion to change you and mould you and shape you, he'll hold you accountable. He will challenge you. He does that. He does that. So... 
knowing God's forgiveness and God is prepared to forgive, and this is the amazing thing, having just said what he said to these people, the amazing thing we read here, but if you will not listen. You know, there's a choice. There's a choice. As I said before, the only thing you take with you into eternity are the choices and decisions you make in this life. Will you choose? Will you choose to pray a prayer, oh God, have your way in my life? And I'm talking to Christians who've been walking with the Lord 30, 40 years. Don't let that inner disease get into you and cripple your arm. Become someone who's armed for God, allowing God to continually have his way in your life. You have a choice to make. So here's the question, and this is where I finish. Are you ready to give an account to God? Could you say to God on that day of judgment, which for some of you will come sooner than you think, knowing that the books will be opened, every word you've uttered, every deed you've done, every thought you've thought, every prayer you've prayed, the books will be opened and you'll give an account. That's what it says in Revelation chapter 20. Are you ready for that day? In one respect, I'm not, if it's all about me. In another respect, I am because there is something God has done in my heart. In response to a prayer that I've prayed, oh God, have your way in my life, even when I don't want you to, please do, please do, have your way in my life. Jesus, be Lord of my life, grip me by your spirit, by your word, and lead me at times even where I don't want to go. Help me to go there. Do you pray like that? I encourage you to. Why don't we pray together right now? Father, I pray for us as a church, for those of us that have been walking with you. We, we know you, we we walk with you. I pray, Lord, that, that no palsy will set into our soul, that no disease of the inner person will, will grip us. But, Lord, we will be people who are sold out to you, who are continually praying for you to wash us and cleanse us and refresh us and make us renewed. Now, Lord, I pray for everyone who's listening to me now, whether it be by radio, by computer screen, by TV screen, wherever they might be right now watching and listening to this, that, Father, you'll speak right into their hearts. The pouring out of wine, God's fury. It doesn't fit the mamby-pamby picture of God that some like to promote, does it? God is serious. More in this series next week when Dr. Corbett asks, can the leopard change his spots? If you missed the first series of Jeremiah, we have a special offer for our Finding Truth Matters listeners. Series 1 of Jeremiah, The Weeping Prophet is now available and includes 26 DVDs. For a gift of $75, we'll send you the entire first series on DVD. To take advantage of this offer, just go to findingtruthmatters.org and click DVD Offer. You're also welcome to phone and request this special DVD offer. If you're calling locally, the number is 6330-2885 in business hours. That number again, 6330-2885. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.